0: I'm Autumn Lockett,
1: and this is Mitch Randall,
0: and you're listening to Good Faith Weekly.
1: Welcome to Good Faith Weekly, and on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up and we're going to hear all about her grand adventure at Glacier National Park, and then we're going to talk about the end of the Afghan war. Lots of bad things happening at the Kabul airport, as well as refugee settlement, resettlements. Uh, Great need there. And then we're going to talk about the continuation of a rapid spread of the Delta variant in COVID-19. And then later on in the pod, Autumn and I sat down with a pediatrician, Dr. Jared Beavers, and talk about how parents can protect their children as they send them back to school. So stay tuned. It's a good episode.
2: I'm Reverend Starlet Thomas a womanist in ministry, and the host of the Raceless Gospel podcast from Good Faith Media. It's season two, and we're still talking about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. This season of the Raceless Gospel has eight episodes, eight podcast church services, The doors of this church are open, and we're going to talk about the sticks and stones we carry faithfully that break the skin and bones of Christ's body. And on each episode, we're joined by those who bring perspective and insight as to how we set these broken bones and perhaps make things right. The Raceless Gospel Podcast, eight episodes. I'm your podcast pastor, Reverend Starlet Thomas. Join us as we discuss the church in North America's bodywork. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org.
1: Autumn, welcome back to civilization.
0: Thank you so much. I never realized there were still places in our country that were so remote that your cell phone would be a literal brick. <laughs>
1: So it was just dead weight that you carried around in uh, glacier. Yes. <laughs>
0: it was just a camera. It was back to the old days when you just carried a camera and it couldn't do anything else. It was so beautiful. I'd seen pictures of Glacier National Park and, um, the pictures just do not do it justice. It was amazing.
1: Well, I know that you posted uh, some pictures on your personal Facebook page, as well as good faith media's page. And it looks stunning. I mean, just gorgeous, gorgeous, uh, scenery.
0: Yeah, it really was. And I've actually really um, terrified my husband because I really enjoyed hiking and I've never been an outdoorsy person before um, ever, but I liked the exertion. I liked the sort of um, prime cardiovascular situation because you get your heart rate up and you sort of walk on level and then you get your heart rate up climbing. And so I've got I have um, hydra hydrating backpacks on the kids' Christmas list, and I'm ready to start hiking places, and my husband is not real happy about
1: that. <laughs> well, I remember kind of poking fun at you a couple of weeks ago kind of worried about you because, you know, as you just said, you're not the most outdoorsy type. But uh,
0: I'm not. Uh, but you know what, Mitch? People can change their minds about things. <laughs> That's
1: very true, very they true. They can,
0: and we encourage people at Good Faith Media to take in new data, and to make informed new decisions. Now,
1: from what I understand, it was the standoff with the goat on the trail that really changed your mind.
0: It was, they were, I mean, I know I sound like a cartoon character, but they were so fluffy. And when I <laughs> say goat, so I'm
1: not talking about a little farm goat, right?
0: Oh, no. This was a big goat with like deep fur, and it just. Ran straight up the mountain like gravity wasn't even an issue. It was beautiful, just like the sound of music.
1: <laughs> and goats weren't all the life, uh, wildlife you saw.
0: No, we saw both kind of bears. We saw a grizzly and a black bear. We saw an elk. We saw a moose. We saw marmots and chipmunks and ground squirrels and we basically any kind of wildlife they had at Glacier National Park. We saw and have video evidence of.
1: <laughs> well, I've seen that video evidence. It looked remarkable. So, you know, what was it like? I mean, we we had these experiences at Good Faith Media, and, you know, it's kind of strange that a media company encourages their supporters and listeners and viewers to really unplug from media and go into these national parks. What was it like to, to unplug for an entire week?
0: It was life-giving. You know, we have been so... Um extremely plugged during COVID because these machines are the only way we can connect and do our work. And so it was, it was really sort of healing to be in a place where my phone wasn't pinging and ponging the whole time. And then just getting to spend time with people of all different generations and life stages and professions who have a heart to truly be a Jesus follower and to listen to them about their professions and really talk and connect with people uh, was just really, really life-giving. If you have an opportunity to go on a good faith media experience, you absolutely should.
1: Excellent. Well, I'm speaking of unplugging, uh, lots of heartache coming out of Afghanistan last couple Mm. of weeks. Biden administration announced a few weeks ago, that they were keeping the deadline for a complete uh, U.S. pullout of August the 31st. And since then, the Taliban have basically taken over the country. There has been a mad rush to the Kabul airport, where thousands of Afghanis are attempting to get out of the country, some clinging to the bottom of planes in hopes Mm. of getting out that has created a complete humanitarian crisis. There's a huge refugee resettlement program that is underway right now. And it's just been heartbreaking to see.
0: Yes, I just wonder how many times in our lifetime we're going to have to talk about refugees.
1: Oh, I think we're gonna be talking about them every year because there is a huge global Catastrophe taking place. I mean, what we're dealing with right now is war and the displacement of victims of war. And that's not going to slow down anytime soon. But there's also the added component of climate change. Yes. And yes. people re I mean, we've talked about, you know, refugee crises in the world. I think that there's a human migration taking place. Mm-hmm. That humans are migrating to places where there are resources, where they can simply take care of their families in a safe manner. And they hate leaving their homelands. They love their homelands. And Imad and Chauncey Writes about that this week at Mm goodfaithmedia.org about, you know, no refugee wants to leave their home. It's their home for crying out loud. But when they do, they do so the simple fact of finding resources and opportunity for their families. And so so it's just heartbreaking. And when war is involved, this was a choice that we made 20 years ago to enter Afghanistan. And we've made choices ever since then to stay there. And I was talking to Mark Wyatt a while ago, who's a CBF missionary who's in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, who oversees the Welcome House there that is a, a refugee house that transitions refugees into the communities. It's a wonderful, wonderful program. And he reminded me in our phone conversation when he simply said, he said, Mitch, this is what the end of war looks like. And he's absolutely right. I was yep. a child when the Vietnam War ended. And I was a small child when the Vietnam War ended. But I do remember in my church back in Tulsa, Oklahoma, many Vietnamese children and young people flooding into our church. And this is ex- he's exactly right. This is what the end of war looks like and The question is, do we have a responsibility to take these refugees in, to care for them, and help them transition into a new life? Because the life that uh, they are forced to live with, if they remain back in Afghanistan, that is not a good one. The Taliban will retaliate.
0: Well, and um, it's really a shame. The Bible never really told us what to do with refugees, widows, or children who were in need of homes. I mean, it's just real unclear. Yeah, it's that.
1: very unclear. I mean, I wish they could have been a little more concise. I mean, I think Jesus said maybe, he may have mentioned it a time or two, but it was that not guy? Really. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, no, as people of faith, we are called, I mean, over and over again in the Scripture to take care of the stranger and to welcome the stranger and care for them and show hospitality. That is a part of our theological Uh, foundation and understanding. And we need to be doing this. We have responsibility. And so Mark suggests starting with your local refugee settlement organization and seeing what is being done there. He said, because of the Afghan situation, usually it's about a two-week notice when refugees uh, get to come into the state. But now they're getting a notification of one day. One Gosh. day refugees w- may show up in your community and so there's a desperate need for homes and rooms uh, and so uh, so Mark suggests uh, starting with your local resettlement organization and if you don't have one in your area or if refugees are not being resettled in your area, there's are certainly other uh, cities, other organizations mm-hmm. like the Welcome House in North Carolina and CBF's refugee program that you can support. So it's mm-hmm. it's certainly a lot of good happening. This is an opportunity for people of faith to really to do what is right, and I, I hope that we all rise up and do so. Yeah. Well, speaking of doing what is right, school's back in session. Delta variant COVID-19 is not slowing down. And there's a lot of people who are still not choosing to do what is right and avoid the vaccine, not implement mask mandates in local schools. And it's just heartbreaking. The numbers are going to the roof.
0: And instead, they're just depending on horse dewormer to solve problems.
1: When the CDC, I think it was a CDC or FDA, released a statement saying, people, you are not horses. Do not take this. What kind of world do we live in when you have to say that?
0: I don't, I don't know how you have mistrust of medication for people that's been through lots of testing and research for how it affects people, but you would trust a veterinary supplement it was never meant to be ingested by people, right? It's, it's used topically to treat lice and rosacea on humans, but in very small doses and different doses than people are buying at the feed store, um, which is what we're seeing right now.
1: Yeah. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Well, you have sent your children back to school, Autumn. You've been talking to parents. How's it going?
0: Well, you know, it's, it's going pretty well. I've, sort of fretted about it all summer and as we saw Delta start to to peak i didn't know what to do but after talking to pediatricians and our life and specialists we made the choice to send our kids back they are in masks our oldest is in high school and she reports that all of their staff um all the adults at the campus that she is on are wearing masks excellent and and that she's wearing, um, she's wearing a mask and that it's actually been pretty nice for her to be able to pick out friends in high school who, <laughs> who are compassionate, <laughs> kind human beings based on mask wearage. So I'm like, that's actually kind of nice. Would have been nice in high school to not have to to fill that out. My little <laughs> ones are are out of school where they have lots of outside time. They're in masks as well. And then my elementary student is uh, he's in an ninety-five and he um is eating lunch in the office sort of away from that super spreader experience.
1: Well, good. Well, I'm glad they're staying safe. and It sounds like a majority of folks are taking this very seriously, and I know there's a lot of concerns out there, uh, and rightly so, by parents as they send their kids back to school. We are seeing the numbers continuing to increase. Children's hospitals are starting to fill up. Uh, ICU beds are at capacity, and it is a, an alarming time. The vaccine works, folks. Uh, it's got full FDA approval now, so those of you who have been holding out for that approval, it's here. Go get the jab. Uh, for those who need boosters, it's available now for the elderly and others. So, so please, let's start uh, taking care of ourselves. We've got to bring this thing to end. That's the only way it's going to come to an end is through vaccination and increasing those rates. Well, Autumn and I had the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Jared Beavers this week, who is a pediatrician out of Little Rock, Arkansas. And Autumn had the wise idea of doing some uh, consult not consulting, but crowdsourcing. Crowdsourcing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we got some great questions from our Facebook followers that we posed to Dr. Beavers. And he answers those, and he says they're very Great and kind way and thoughtful way. So it's a great interview. So stay tuned for Dr. Jared Beavers.
0: I'm Reverend Kendall Ray Rothus, and my latest book is just out Thy Queendom Come Breaking Free from the Patriarchy to Save Your Soul. Thy Queendom Come is a feminist reimagining of the kingdom of God. Hierarchy is replaced with a reign of love. Women's voices and stories are valued. Reverence for the Divine Feminine re-emerges from the ashes of its martyrdom. Order your copy of Thy Queendom Come, wherever books are sold.
1: Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got a very special guest with us all the way from Little Rock, Arkansas. Dr. Jared Beavers is currently an associate professor and hospitalist in pediatrics at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. Dr. Beavers also practices neonatal intensive care at Arkansas Children's Hospital. Dr. Beavers is currently a member of the American Board of Pediatrics, Alpha Omega Alpha, Christian Medical and Dental Association, and the Arkansas Medical Society. He lives in Little Rock, as we've already stated, with his wife, Blair, who's also a pediatrician, by the way, and their daughter, Emerson. Dr. Beavers, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate
0: it. We are so glad that you're here. How old is Emerson?
1: emerson is now eight and
3: she actually they probably haven't updated that dossier but it's uh, i actually have a six-year-old named bennett as well so oh
0: she, nice <laughs> that's <good>.
3: busy excellent <laughs>
1: that's great what's it like living with another pediatrician you guys like are oh, you, man. Are you, you know, in competition um, with one another you
3: know we the funny thing is so back in the day you know we actually did training together and uh that was a true test uh on our marriage um you know <laughs> times when uh, we we butted heads you know professionally uh not just uh not just as, as husband and wife but uh um, it was a little bit of a challenge but now i mean i really couldn't ask for it, uh, anything better you know i've got an instant consult you know if uh, if i'm you know kind of losing my way I, I can turn to her and ask her a question and uh, uh, she doesn't turn to me for questions you know because she's smarter but you know i think that <laughs> it's nice to have that uh that uh, partner that you can you can do life and career with so it's kind mm-hmm.
1: of Absolutely. Well, Dr. Beavers, you're here today because, uh, the Delta variant and kids hidden heading back to school. Um, you live in Arkansas, which is a hotbed uh, for the virus right now. Um, just first of all, how are you and your family, uh, everybody okay and healthy?
3: Yeah. Um, so far we've, we've, uh, we've managed, uh, along pretty well. Um, you know, there've been a couple scares along the way, you know, and, and certainly, you know, being in healthcare uh, every day is a, a little bit of a challenge now, but, uh, um, you yeah, we've, we've remained pretty healthy. Um, and so we're very thankful for that.
1: Excellent.
0: Excellent. So what Mitch and I have done is we've sort of put together some questions of things. So we've been wondering things that we've asked uh, I've asked our pediatrician and then also sort of crowdsourced some some parents on social media and this is sort of a list of the questions that were the most burning and at the top of their list. So I'm just going to kick it off and they're probably things you've been asked in the office quite a bit in the past 19 months or so. Uh, We know that masking and distancing are essential tools in helping slow the spread of COVID. And we know a lot more about that now than we did in March of 2020. But what other tips would you recommend? What are you doing at home with your family?
3: that's a great question. Um, Yeah, so, you know, masking, distancing, you know, I think when, when we're talking about all of those protocols and all of those little things um, that help protect us from the virus. It's all layers of protection, you know? And so the number of layers that you can get between you and the virus, the better. And I'm not just talking about layers of, you know, mask or layers of you know cloth or anything like that. I'm, it's just physical, physical, but also temporal layers. So, um, you know, if you can, you know, time activities, you know, to where there's not going to be a a crowd, you know, uh, for example, like when we go out to a playground with our our children, um, we try to go, you know, in an off hour where there's not going to a lot of kids, you know, around um, that could potentially, you know, uh, be interacting too much with them. Um, we, it's, it's a hard balance, you know, between wanting your kids to have that socialization, you know, and, and um, that, that frim- friendship and camaraderie, um, but also trying to, to caution them and be very careful um, um, with regards to spread. Uh, we do encourage them whenever they're going to be around, you know, other kids and stuff that we're going to wear our masks, you know, if we're not, uh, in, uh, if we're not outside, uh, for outside activities, you know, um, just, you know, telling them, you know, let's, let's not have any physical contact, you know, but, um, um, you can certainly run around and, and, and jump and play and do those sorts of sorts of things, um, with the other children. Um, as far as other precautions, you know, I think, you know, the CDC's laid it out pretty well. And I know that. There's been a lot of kind of controversy, you know, uh, or at least this disagreement with, with, you know, the, the mixed messaging the CDC has, has had, you know, uh, in, in past months. Um, but I think it's it's all been fairly, you know, uh, consistent with, you know, trying to maintain that physical distance, you know, trying to wear your mask, you know, when you're indoors with other uh, uh, people. Um, and also, again, just not doing anything that you don't necessarily have to do, you know. Mm-hmm especially with the, the the variant raging through our community right now,
0: um,
3: just not going out and about and just avoiding as much contact as you can. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Uh, Dr. Beavers, this is the third school year that's been affected by COVID-19. Um, a lot of kids uh, are already back in school. Uh, some kids on the East Coast, uh, West Coast uh, will be arriving in school in September. A um, lot of nervous parents out there, obviously. So what guidance do you have for parents who want their children to have the benefits of in-person learning, but also want to mitigate the risk of COVID-19? And I'm going to give you a specific example. and I heard this just last night from a parent. How risky is it for an elementary children or how risky is it for elementary children to be masked in a classroom where a teacher does not wear a mask?
3: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so again, you know, it's it, if, if the the teacher is not wearing a mask, you've removed a layer, you know, between you know that that teacher and that student, you know. And so I think it it, it would be ideal, you know, if teachers and students were both masked, you know, had those physical barriers in place. Um, when we talk about risk, it's really, it's really hard to put numbers on this. This is not something that's well defined right now. I mean, even though we've been kind of in this for, you know, for 18, you know, 20, 24 months, um, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're learning things every day. Um, the problem with masks and, and those barriers and the difficulty with studying them is that there's no two masks that are alike, you know, and the cloth mask that I'm wearing, um, you know, when I go out and about is different than the surgical mask that I typically wear while I'm making rounds in the hospital, which is different than the N95 mask that I wear when I see COVID patients. Um, so it's it's um, the, there's a lot of variability, you know, that that plays a big role in how much risk there is. Um, so I think a lot of it kind of boils down to just common sense things. Um, of course, you know, the, the teacher not having a mask on increases the risk, but um, the risk is is fairly small. I think the the most important message that I would give to parents, you know, with regards to their, their kids going back to school school is I'm nervous, too. Okay, I'm a pediatrician, but I'm a parent. Everybody, everybody's nervous. That's absolutely fine. Um, and that's a, that's a very real um, and very uh, um, um, common and, and okay feeling. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's okay to feel that way. Um, yeah, I think if you, if you didn't feel that way as a parent, I would be really concerned about you you know, I would, I would worry about your, your bonding with your child, um, but the risk is, is fairly small. Okay. The risk overall for children is still fairly small. Um, and so when I say fairly small, um, you know, the chance of transmission, um, for, from, from child to child, um, as asymptomatic carriers, um, you know, there's, there's been some studies in the last, you know, uh, uh, a year that have looked at that, and as, as as asymptomatic carriers, kids don't tend to spread the virus nearly as much um, as adults do. Um, so once you get up into the adolescent and adult years, um, the the chances of spreading that virus uh, increase quite a bit. Um, and so the risk for especially smaller kids, you know, elementary school age kids um, going back to school, the risk of, of asymptomatic transmission is pretty small. I think what parents are seeing mostly in the news right now is all of these kids in the in the children's hospital. You know, mm-hmm. uh, all of the the children's hospitals filling up, um, lack of ICU beds and things. And certainly that's something we we've been seeing um, here in Arkansas. Um, again, those cases are are still pretty rare, um, but um, they're, you know, it's just like you know anything in pediatrics. One case is too many. You know, and, and when any any family that has a sick child, um, you know, just like any, any person that has a sick relative, you know, it, it's, it's painful um, and it's, uh, um, uh, it's just a distressing situation for them. Um, so I always say one case is too, too many. Um, and if it's your child, you know, you would agree. Um, so I think just doing everything we can to maximize um, the safety for our children, but also kind of promoting that good education. And I am all for in-person education. I'm the son of a school teacher, you know, um, two school teachers actually. And um, I'm—I'm—you'll uh, um, never find a, a bigger a public school proponent than, than me. Um, but I also think we have to do it safely, you know. And, and so, you know, keeping those protections in place, having some common sense about um, the things we do to, to help keep those kids safe uh, is paramount um, to helping keep keep those hospitals empty um, and keeping those kids healthy.
0: Yes. So there's been a real uptick in RSV lately, Mm. and it seems sort of off season. Do you have some thoughts on why that is? And how can a parent tell the difference between COVID and RSV? Because they look very similar.
1: I can tell you, you you Google it like we do at our house. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, so WebMD uh, does not all work. So, uh,
3: Suddenly,
0: yeah. your daughter has prostate cancer, and
2: there you go, right? <laughs> you that's know?
3: What it it grew, that escalated quickly. Um, so, um, that's a great question. So, kind of two parts to that question: um, the RSV and, and influenza um, uh, basically disappeared last year um, in, in children. Uh, there were the number of cases, if you go look at the CDC reporting statistics for those cases, it, it's almost like they, they just vanished all, all of a sudden. and it was because of social distancing and masks. Those viruses are, are spread uh, more commonly through respiratory contact, respiratory uh, droplets. Uh, COVID is spread you know, predominantly through respiratory droplets, but it can also be aerosolized. It can also be uh, spread through tinier particles, um, which makes it more transmissible than those other two viruses. Um, which in turn also makes it um, um, somewhat more deadly um, because it can spread from person to person easier. And so what you see in, this, in the in the reporting is that those viruses disappeared because we actually did, um, you know, a big social health experiment with distancing and masks, and all of a sudden, you know, those cases are, are gone. You look at in Arkansas, when the mask mandate was removed, RSV, and and in, in some small cases influenza, but mostly RSV came surging right back, and that's because kids started mingling again, and those those viruses are spread. We all, as parents, know that kids are petri dishes, you know, that just love to to spread their lovely germs everywhere, um, and so that's what we saw. We saw uh, RSV come surging back. We saw these surges in COVID cases. We you know we that, that's what, that's what's happening is people are mingling more, and those those viruses that that you know replicate and transmit and live in populations could do so more easily. But that was the, the big, the big spreader. Um, and the, the reason for the off season, um, um, kind of surge that we've seen, um, was because typically when you go inside for the winter and you're driven indoors, that's when you're going to get most transmission. Um, it doesn't usually happen, you know, in the summer months, cause we're usually outside, you know, and, and have a little bit more distance and a little bit more fresh air. Um, but um, but we've seen it now because people are, are mingling and, and our immune systems are primed to, to receive um, those viruses. And I think with uh, and the second part of that question, I got, got a little off, off kilter there. Oh, um, so I, I guess with um, how do you tell the difference, you know, between between virus types? It's really hard. It's really, really impossible. And, and truth,
0: okay. the, only
3: <laughs> way, the only way you can tell, you know, is with testing. Okay. Um, and if you've had, you know, the, uh, the, the, um, frontal lobotomy that is a, a COVID test, you know, it's not, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, um, you know that it's, it's not the most, uh, uh, fun test in the world, but I think in this climate with the, the population spread that we have right now, it is very important where if you suspect that your child has a viral illness to talk to their healthcare provider. To get testing, you know, and sometimes there are some at-home kits that some providers are using. You know, some some blood tests and things like that might be a little bit um, um, less troublesome. Um, but talk to their provider um, and and get testing because, especially if they are in a school setting, we don't want transmission to take place right. um, because eventually that virus will find its way to a susceptible person and will cause them great harm. Um, and so we want to make sure that we minimize that. But fever, cough. Running those, all of those upper respiratory viral symptoms um, are common across influenza, RSV, uh, coronavirus, all of those. Yeah.
1: Dr. Beavers, we got a, a question from uh, our follow, one of our followers, and she asked, would you advise masks for all ages of children? Should they be masked if outdoors? Early on, we wore masks no matter what, but eventually the guidance was that the virus was less efficiently transmitted outside. She's specifically asking about playgrounds, water parks, and pools. Great question.
3: You know, as I said before, you know, clean outside, I'm I'm not so concerned about masks. Um, you know, when you have um, lots of airflow and 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 studies have kind of supported this ventilation um, with good, you know, fresh air kind of moving through, the risk of transmission is, is already extremely small. Um, I think certainly, you know, if, if uh, um, you are around someone who is known to be immunocompromised, you know, we have some grandparents, you know, their girls love to, to see. Um, you know, one of which, you know, is on, uh, as a cancer, you know, patient, um, if you're around someone that, you know, um, has an increased risk or susceptibility to infection, I think, uh, it's never, never harmful to put that mask on for a few minutes, you know, especially if you're going to be in close, close proximity indoors or out. But I think by and large, you know, uh, water parks, water parks are, are an interesting animal, um. Uh, I I would say, uh, your risk of transmission for everything goes up at a water park. Um, so I mean, I think (laughs) when, when I say kids are petri dishes, I, I, water parks are, are, you know, it's just a a culture tube. You're just, you're just sitting there, you know, spreading literally everything at water parks. So, um, nothing against water parks, but I mean, man, they're, they're not clean places. Um, I think that, you know, taking again, those common sense precautions, I think masks are good for all age groups that can comfortably wear them.
0: Okay.
3: A kid is less than three, trying to keep a mask on a toddler. I mean, you, you're gonna lose that fight. I'm gonna,
0: Even keeping a diaper on a toddler can be a yeah. challenge. <laughs> yeah,
3: they're gonna, they're gonna <laughs> chew on that mask and they're gonna, I mean, they're gonna put everything in their mouth. There is almost zero chance that you're going to um, promote uh, a safe um, uh, mask wearing with a, a two year old. Um, and that's what CDC guidance says. If you're less than three and can't comfortably wear a mask, then absolutely don't worry about it. Okay. The risk for those children are small. You know, again, the risk for kids is, is still low. Um, it's, it's higher with Delta, but it's still not, you know, uh, at the adult levels. Um, so I think that uh, um, less than three-year-olds and stuff, you know, per the, per the guidelines is, is absolutely fine to, to go without a mask um, unless you're in a situation like on a plane or whatever that they, you know, if they say otherwise. So.
0: Sure. So when do you, know this is the, this is the question, right? When do you think we can expect a vaccine for our kids who are under 12? And what is, what is your guidance as far as parents potentially spacing out that vaccine from like the flu shot or their routine immunizations?
3: Good question. Um, So, you know, if I got my crystal ball out, you know, and I, you know, I don't mean to to my own horn, but I've been I've been pretty accurate with my predictions as far as you know vaccine timing goes, and it's not because I'm smart; it's because I have really, really smart friends.
2: Um, you ask the, your wife, that they, basically. I mean, the, and I've got a wife that you know, just, <laughs> you know keeps me
3: my mind. Um, so, right now, what what we've heard um, is, you know, of course the the FDA. Um, said that it would be early to midwinter and um, whatever vague um, um, time that that is referring to um, from what we understand in the healthcare community um, the earliest we would expect to see a, a, a vaccine approved for children less than 12 would be in october okay. um, you know and i think if we get it in october that would be again just a, a landmark this vaccine uh you know i'm on a little vaccine tangent for a second this thing is just absolutely remarkable and and i get i'm i'm such a science geek um i love talking about this with, with with parents what what these companies have done um you know the interface between government and private industry um but also just just the the scientists working you know long long hours into the night they have created a vaccine delivery platform that will that is easily modifiable You know, that you could change, you know, the vaccine, the mRNA, you know, sequence in the vaccine to tailor, you could tailor it to any, any virus, you know, that kind of comes around um, really at the drop of a hat. It's just, it's, it's remarkable in its simplicity. Um, This isn't a big, crazy, you know, experimental thing. that has been researched for, you know, going on over a decade now. Um, And they've created this platform. um, And what we're seeing is, of course, you know, there are some, I mean, some side effects, you know, sore arm, you know, fever, headache, some of those things that we see from an immune response. Um, But it's remarkably safe, and it's remarkably effective. And it's, it's just going to be, I think, here to stay, you know, with regards to how we how we vaccinate, um, and how we keep people healthy and, and from contracting these diseases. And, I've told people on social media uh, and in my day-to-day conversations, my eight- and six-year-old will be at the front of the line when those vaccines are approved for for Mm -hmm. those groups. I I cannot think of anything as a parent um, that I could do more of to to make them more safe um, than than getting them vaccinated against this this virus. I would feel the relief I had when I got my vaccine, Mm -hmm. you know, i mean seriously it was like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders because as a practitioner as a health as a healthcare care worker seeing these people get sick seeing these people die seeing you know friends and, and, and relatives and, and all these people struggling with this virus it was just it was a weight off my shoulders to know that i was protected you know and yeah there's still that really rare chance that something could happen you know i could still get infected or still be hospitalized but man i've really done everything i can and now it feels it felt like i'd put on Put on my armor, you know, and I could I could then you know kind of go out more safely. So it was just a huge relief for me, and I can't imagine as a parent, you know, what that relief will feel like knowing mm-hmm. that my kids are protected.
0: Yes.
1: You know, um, Dr. Amber Schmidtke, uh, who's an epidemiologist, uh, former employee of CDC, is a friend of our podcast. She's been coming routine guest uh, since the pandemic broke uh, last she's year. She's sort
0: of like the medical Holy Spirit of our podcast. <laughs> so We just have her floating through here, dispensing her knowledge. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but she just echoed exactly what she's been saying about yeah. this, this vaccine. Uh, it really is, uh, it's a modern day miracle in medicine because what sure. how they how quickly they put this together and the ability just the the vaccine itself is remarkable and she's told us you know behind the scenes that there are going to be things that come out of this moment that are going to be life-changing for everybody because of the research has been done to bring this vaccine to everybody. HIV
0: patients, all these other oh, yeah. things we've been waiting and waiting for some kind of relief. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's, it's going to be, yeah. I mean, it's a pivotal, it's a pivotal moment, you know, and, and one of the things that, you know, I've, I've talked about with, you know, I've got lots of family that are, are, are very staunchly, you know, conservative. You know, um, um, and um, it's a struggle, I think, between you know faith and science. They grapple with a lot. Um, but you know, one of the things they they raised me, and and one of the things that you know when they were had all these hesitations about vaccines and all this stuff, I was like, listen, you you helped you helped raise me. And you helped me through school and training and to, to, to gather all of the knowledge that I've been able to accumulate over these years. And when I tell you that when I've read all this stuff and that, that it's safe and effective, I'm not I'm not feeding you a line, you know, from from some organization or some you know, body. I mean, I, I legitimately have 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 done everything I can to make sure that this is going to be good for us. Mm-hmm and i would you know recommend it without hesitation and that's been the that's been what I've, I've i've told a lot of family that have been hesitant to vaccinate and i think it's really reached them you know i think they they really realize that you know this isn't um you know this isn't a it's not a lack of faith you know in god's protection you know um by by, by taking this vaccine i mean I, I think you know that god has used Researchers and scientists and giving us brains and abilities, you know, uh, and and it's just echoed. It's so it is a miracle. I mean, this this thing mm-hmm. I called it that you know, back in January when I got it myself, I, I was just like this is this is a modern day miracle, the fact that we've been able to develop this so quickly, um, and we are so blessed in this country. And that's one thing I, I don't know if everybody really appreciates the resources that we have in this country mm-hmm. and the the vaccination that we have the vaccinations that we have available. Uh, I mean, having three different vaccines, you know, whereas some countries have zero, it's just, it's remarkable, um, just I think how how privileged we are. Um, And I just, uh, I really, really just encourage my family, like, it's like, this is, this is, you know, something I think is good for you, and and to just go with it. Yeah,
1: you know, just to kind of follow up on that. um, You mentioned there's, there is a hesitancy in all of our families, some people are hesitant to get the, the, the vaccine, hopefully now that it's been approved by the FDA that, uh, that some of those people who are on the fence are not going to get it, but there are going to be still some who just refuse to do it. And sure. talking to Dr. Schmidtkey and her educating us on the way this virus and, and any virus uh, begins to evolve and morph because it needs to find a host my fear is that those who are refusing to get vaccinated are putting our kids who cannot get vaccinated right now at risk. And that's why we're seeing the uptick in cases uh, with children uh, and children landing in the ICU is the number one way still to protect our kids as an adult getting vaccinated. hundred percent. Yeah. Without,
3: without any hesitation. Yeah, I mean, this virus, as you said, this virus mutates when it replicates. The more replications that take place, the increased in incidence of mutation. Eventually, it mutates and it will escape uh, the vaccine protection that we have. We're already seeing that, you know, to a degree, um, with uh, with Delta. You know, the efficacy for the vaccine is slightly lower. Um, but only about 10% lower. Um, And we have variants like Lambda. There's a Lambda variant that uh, was first uh, uh, studied in Peru that in clinical studies have, have, or excuse me, in laboratory studies have shown some vaccine resistance. Um, If we want to escape this thing once and for all, like if we want to get out of this once and for all, um, we really have to get a huge chunk of the population vaccinated Um, or post-infection, and and that's not a a really reasonable alternative, um, to get herd immunity um, so that this thing will eventually just fade out, just like so many other viruses, you know, similar similar to what we saw with the Spanish flu. You know, the the progression of viruses is that they will flare up, and then as people become immune, uh, whether it's through vaccination or natural infection, and they will slowly subside. Um, so there is an end to this. There is a, there is an end, you know, um, to this, but it's it's going to be how that end looks can be very, very different based on, you know, vaccination versus no vaccination. Mm-hmm. We're going to be dealing with a lot of long-term effects from people who have been not vaccinated that have contracted the disease. There are going to be a lot of long-term sequelae that we're going to be studying for for decades. Um, and I think that, you know, the end point for us is is, is – dramatically different um, based on vaccination
1: status. Before I hand it over to Autumn, I got one a little bit of a controversial question to ask you, Dr. Beavers. With the full approval of the FDA now, is it time to add this vaccine as a, man, a mandate?
3: Oh, man, that's a, that is a controversial question. Um, you know, I think so I, I'm a pediatrician and I, you know, uh, I have seen um, and experienced the, the wonders of vaccination, you know, and, and the, um, the protections that it provides. Um, and I would love nothing more than 100% of, of my patients and their families to be vaccinated for everything that's possible. Um, I don't think that, um, uh, I don't think that we can, we can mandate um, healthcare decisions like that. Um, the reason I say that, and and I, again I say that knowing full well that you know that's a that you're right that's a controversial thing, I w- I would love it I would I would absolutely love to tell you know all my parents well you know I'm sorry you don't really have a whole lot of choice in this you know we have to get vaccinated, but I respect them um, as individuals and I respect their autonomy enough um, to, to let them make healthcare decisions. And I know that it's a public health crisis. And in those situations, things change a little bit, but I still think that, um, we have to be very, very careful with, with mandating healthcare and then how we do that. Um, again, it's a, it's a little bit of a slippery slope, you know, um, with, with regards to, you know, um, um, the involvement of, of, of agencies or, or corporations or anything like that. And um I certainly think that industry, you know, um, I don't think that having vaccine requirements are wrong. It's required for me to get vaccinated and for my day-to-day work. You know, I have to, you know, as, as a physician, um, I have to submit to, to getting vaccinated because that's you know part of the policy at the institution I work at. Um, I have no problems, you know, with that. Um, but again, I, I would have the freedom to leave and, and do another job if I wanted there. Um, so I think
1: that, so so let me ask you this, and this is really out of ignorance more than anything. This question comes, (laughs) uh, which most of my questions are, but, (laughs) um, so what would be the difference between mandating the COVID-19 vaccine versus, uh, vaccines that are already required for children when they enter school. And obviously we do know that there are religious exemptions to that uh, sure. mandate, but primarily they ask for, for vaccination records. What's the difference between yeah. this one and the others?
3: Yeah. And in, in, in that regard, I, again, I don't, I don't think that that's a, that's a wrong mandate. I
1: think the schools should be able to
3: require it. Um, I think that, you know, again, if you're if you're going into a social contract with with a, an institution or a body, um, you know, saying that, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to protect my child and other children, you know, by having them vaccinated in the public school setting. Um, then I think that it's absolutely fine to have that requirement. We've had that for years and years. And yes, there are people that that feel, you know, differently, but they, if they have strong religious objections, that there's an exception for that. If they have stronger objections, then, you know, there's homeschooling or or private schools or alternatives. So I think that there there are outlets for that. I don't think, I, I just think that a universal mandate, I think that saying that, you know, for you to exist, you know, you have to have this vaccine, I think that 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 um, is just is, is an overreach. Mm-hmm. I think that um, we still have to have you know the freedom you know to to make decisions you know for ourselves, um, as painful as those decisions can be, and as costly as those can be you know for our society. Um, I still think that there that's a fundamental freedom. Um, but you're right. That is, that's, I mean, that puts, that puts me in a hard place, you know, gotcha. because I, I see the benefits and I see yeah. the, the, the good that they do. Um, but I I do think that, you know, ultimately um, we have to have, um, you know, some of those freedoms in our decisions at, with regards to our, our health, you know, I, I, just, I don't want, I don't want to, um um, I certainly don't want the government telling me how to take care of my patients. <laughs> you sure. know, I don't want, right. I there are definitely guidelines, you know, and, and, you know, um, and laws to, that I have to follow. And, and, you know, there are, you know, some, some issues there, but, um, but in my day-to-day practice, you know, if, if I had, you know, if I had somebody looking over my shoulder, I would feel very, very concerned, you know, yeah, that sure. I would be able to take good care of my patients. So
1: that's a, that's a great answer. So th- thanks for, it it's, is. it's a tough, tough question, but you, you did beautifully. So before I I got one more question before I hand it over to Autumn, um, kids are going back to school. As we've already indicated, we've got, uh, you know, Labor Day right around the corner, a lot of people getting together, uh, on that holiday. Um, is it okay for parents to ask their teachers, their adult friends, their family members about their vaccination status? and if they're unvaccinated what should parents do should they keep their kids away from unvaccinated people
3: well yeah i think you know our whole our whole culture right now is kind of grappling with that you know um we're we're really um you know the the tension that has been created you know between vaccination status or you know mask status or all of these you know these just these pressures and intentions and stuff, you know, that you feel, um, you know, some of them some of them are, are are justified. You know, a lot of it I think is is certainly driven uh, by uh, exterior forces. You know, that be those political or uh, um, you know otherwise disruptive. You know, but I think most people want to know when 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 they're asking, are you vaccinated or not? Is it, you know, are you safe, you know, to be around or are you not? And I think if people appreciate that when people are asking those questions, they don't mean anything by it. It's not a political statement. You know, yeah. if we give each other grace and understanding, you know, like, um, you know, are you vaccinated? Yeah. Um, you know, my, my kids, you know, you know, I don't want them having to miss school and stuff like that. You know, I'm sorry, I know that that kind of sounds like a, a a crass question, but you
1: know, I just, no, no, I I think it's absolutely accurate because I can remember when my two boys were young, I mean, when we would send them over to a house that uh, we didn't know the parents, I mean, one of the questions that we did ask the parents is, do they have fire? Do they have firearms in the house? Yep. Yes. You know, and so I I don't think it's inappropriate at all. In fact, one of the things that I've been doing, which I've had the strangest conversations on elevators these days, because I begin almost all my conversation with Pfizer You
2: know, it's kind of like my new hello, Pfizer, and so usually
1: people will respond with whatever they got. That's right. Yeah, Uh,
3: yeah, that's exactly right. You know, but I think you know, I think you're right. It's just. There are questions we have to ask as parents, you know, to, to help us, you know, feel more comfortable, you know, that our kids are, are well protected and safe. Um, and I don't think it's a wrong question to ask. I do think there is a delicate way to ask. Sure, yeah. I think, you know, you, you throw it out there, you go, I'm, I'm sorry, they can't come over if they're not vaccinated. Mm-hmm. I think being confrontational at this point is only going to drive people away. It's only going to cause further disruption and, and, and tension. I think, you know, asking, asking the right way is just as important as asking the question. And so how you ask, you know, those sorts of questions um, is, is very, very, you know, important for parents uh, and families, um, especially with the holidays coming up.
0: So what if you knew that your family members weren't vaccinated, were not, they were anti-maskers yeah. and worked in a very public facing job? Would you let yeah. your children be around them?
3: You know, how ma- I can't tell you how many coworkers I have that are in that, that situation. Um, it, it happens every day in the hospital. We have, you know, healthcare workers, you know, just across communities who have taken care of COVID patients, seen, you know, COVID people die. Even, you know, and there are definitely uh, some of them, you know, that are the same way, that, that, that don't, you know, feel that the vaccines, you know, are helpful or, or that mask work or that sort of thing. But I have so many, so many other colleagues who are doing everything they can to protect their family, but, you know, they have family members, you know, um, who they, who they uh, feel aren't. Um, and it's been, that's created huge rifts, you know, um, in their family created huge amounts of tension. Um, and I think, you know, you know, you have to believe in it strongly, um, or you're gonna, you're gonna fold, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're going to cave to, to, you know, those things. I tell parents when they take a newborn home, I say, listen, these first few weeks, when when people come to visit, I want you to ask them, hey, have you had your pertussis booster? You know, in the last 10 years? Because that's one of the things that could actually hurt or kill our baby. And it's really important, you know, that that you get vaccinated for that before you come around the baby. And of course, not saying it like that, you know, but sure. The rest of it. And I think it's similar with COVID. It's like, you know, you know, listen, um, I'm in a healthcare setting. Um, I could very easily carry, you know, that virus, you know, to my patients, you know, or to somebody who's immunocompromised. So I can't, I can't let my kids, you know, be the, be the vector that brings that home um, and could potentially put my patients, you know, uh, at risk. In addition to my own children's health, Mm we, we have, we have to make hard decisions here. And one of those decisions right now is we're not going to have a whole lot of FaceTime with you guys. Um, you know, we'll, we'd be happy to, to, you know, get on tablets and talk and, and those sorts of things. But, you know, in-person stuff right now is just too dangerous. Um, I think taking the hardline stance is, is something we have to do as parents sometimes, um, you know, even with our own parents. And I think that's some of the most troubling things, you know, that our, these generations are seeing is that the, parent, yeah, the, the generations that raised us are, are doing things that are completely antithetical to the, to the values that they instilled in us and that's hard that's really hard as a a parent you're like that's not consistent at all with the way you raised me and so that creates this like i mean it kind of you know creates this twilight zone effect where you're like and is this real life um and it just it 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 just again those are just all tensions and, and social you know pressures and stuff that people are facing every day um but i think that you know having a principled stance on it and saying we got, we've got to do what's right for our family. And in that instance, we think that this is the right, the right path. And I'm sorry that that causes you grief and hurts, hurts you, you know, um, but we have to do what's right. Um, yeah. And I think most people will respect that. Most people, I think we respect that, but there's definitely going to be conflict there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: Dr. Jared That's Beavers true. from Little Ark, Arkansas, pediatrician, just a great guy. Thank you so much for being a guest on Good Faith Weekly. It was informative, uh, eye-opening, and we really appreciate your time. But before we let you go, Autumn's got one last question for you.
0: I do. Our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of everything that we've talked about today, what is your more to tell?
3: Uh, my more to tell would be, you know, the uh, FDA has approved the vaccine for everybody sixteen and up. Um, it's got full approval. This is not an experiment. This is a this is a full on deal. Everybody that that can needs to be vaccinated, and we all need to take care of one another. Whether that's adding layers of protection like masks and distancing, um, bringing food to our neighbors you who know, who can't go out, um, whatever whatever that looks like, we we still need to be taking care of each other because that's how we get through it. You know, we get yeah. through it together. Um, um, and so I think that continue taking care of one each other. I think everybody's tired of this whole deal, but um, but hang in there. We'll we'll get through it.
1: Well said, sir. Well said. Dr. Beavers, thank you again for being a guest this week. Uh, we are thrilled to have you. I'm so glad that uh, we got connected through one of our board members, Dr. Kevin Hefner. We could spend an entire podcast on him, but uh, we won't. That is anywhere. a different podcast, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we really appreciate it. Thanks for being on the show.
3: Well, thank you for having me.
1: And guests, thank you, or, uh, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to Good Faith uh, Weekly this week. Uh, until next week, keep living good faith.